I have a question. Um, have you ever been invited to something special? Like something that you were just like, man, I can't believe I'm invited to that. I bring that up because this is happening to me as we speak. I got a phone call or a text really and a phone call last week from a guy from our church in Marietta. I go over there and teach all the time and uh, from a guy and he goes, hey, Steve, next Wednesday's the day. Do you want to go? And I said, yeah, I want to go. So I'm going to the Dodger game on Wednesday. Now, if that's not just good enough, as kind of a Dodger fan, my mom and I, we follow the Dodgers. But here's the deal. And I don't even know if it's going to really work out. It just doesn't seem real to me. These kind of things don't happen to me. Supposedly, we get to go early and actually be on the field for batting practice. That's a pretty big deal. My mom's already saying, honey, can you hug Kiki Hernandez and give him a little pinch on the cheek for me, you know? We'll see how that works. I might not be there long on the field. And then after that, we get to do a tour of the underground facility and all the new batting cages and everything they have here. I mean, this is stuff that doesn't happen, at least not to me. So, so why am I sharing this with you? Well, first of all, because I want to make you all jealous because something's actually happening to me, right? I follow you guys on Instagram. We're flying here and going there, and I just sit around in my house, so whatever. I'm going to the Dodger game, getting all this stuff. But there's another reason why, too. It's not just that, because there was a moment in the ministry of Jesus where he invited just a handful of his followers to a special place for a special reason. And this is when he invited James and John, and he invited Peter. And he said, Peter, James, John, I want you to come with me, just the three of you. I want you to come to this mountain, and we're going to pray. And why they got to that, when they got to that mountain and they started praying, it says that Jesus began to transform. His face began to look different, and his clothes became white like lightning. It says in the story that they were kind of tired, the three of them, when they were up there praying, which any of you like, I could totally relate to that, right? But this woke them up. This woke them up, and they were seeing and looking now at Jesus shining, and actually two others then had joined him. One was Moses, and one was Elijah. What a moment. What an experience. And the three of them, Moses and Elijah and Jesus, were talking about the departure of Jesus that was coming and this fulfillment that was going to come to Jerusalem. And one of them had to say something. And so as usual, Peter speaks up first. And it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 33, that Peter said, Master, it is good for us to be here. Oh, it's really good for us to be here. And then he says, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You see, Moses, he's like the father of the law. It says in John chapter 1 that the law came through Moses. And Elijah is a prophet, but he's just not any prophet. He's like big-time prophet. And he's actually one that the Old Testament said would come before the Messiah, before the Savior of the world would come. He would show up again first. And the Bible tells us that John the Baptist is Elijah showing back up, preparing the way for the Lord, declaring the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. So, hey, let's build them three tabernacles, three temples. Man, this is where God dwelled, man, the law, the prophets, and Jesus. But as Paul was speaking, as Peter was speaking, this cloud, it said, came amongst them and freaked these three guys out. And then it says, a voice came from that cloud. And in Luke 9, verse 35, it says, this is my son whom I have chosen. 
listen to him. And as that voice was speaking and they looked back up, Moses and Elijah were gone and only Jesus was standing there. Listen to him, the voice said. Listen to him. In the book of Hebrews chapter one, it says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So so yeah, in, in times past, God spoke to the nation of Israel, and he spoke to them in many forms and in different ways. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. And as Scott mentioned last week, the Old Testament was inspired by God, and we embrace it, and we study it, and we accept it as the history of the Jewish nation and their experience and relationship with God and how they saw God. And throughout the Old Testament, you continuously see God's grace being revealed time and time again, even through mostly tragic stories. And if you read the Old Testament, it is full of tragic stories. But it points to a Redeemer. It points to a future hope. And it points to a future blessing. Right now, I'm just reading through the minor prophets, and it's like some of the minor prophets, it's like, oh, there's a lot in there. And then always seems to end with this promise, with this hope, with this redemption, with this forgiveness. It's this idea that when the old ways of the law and the temple sacrifices and the demands that that brings, those ways that make us feel separated from God and from each other, when those things would end, it seems to say then, then this blessing this promised blessing from Abraham that would bless all nations would come and make all things new. And this one's message would be a message of radical unity. Last week, Scott kind of looked at that culture and our culture of disunity. And that culture of disunity was great, probably even greater than ours, you know, far greater than ours. It was a disunified divided culture. But new was coming, Jesus taught. New was coming. In Luke chapter 5, verse 38, remember we talked about this, that new wine must be poured into new wineskin. New wine poured into new wineskin. Not old wine into new wineskin and not new wine into old wineskin. But new wine into new wineskin. Jesus was coming onto the scene talking about that he was bringing new wine and he was going to pour that wine into new wineskin. Listen to him, the voice said. Listen to him. So over the next few weeks, we are going to be on a fun journey. We're going to be journeying through the New Testament. We're going to start by looking at Jesus' life and how he taught people. We're going to then go into this, the book of Acts, where we see this unity is tested over and over again in the early church. We're going to look at the letters that Paul wrote and how they worked on unity through these letters and how he encouraged them to unity. And then, so exciting, but we are going to tackle the book of Revelation. And we are going to look at this unity fulfilled that we see in that book. It is going to be a great series. I hope you guys will commit to seeing the big picture and coming back week after week and following along of this picture of radical unity. But before we move to that, 
I want to kind of springboard off of Scott last week talking about the old is gone. And I want to sit there and talk about the new that is coming. Because there's a few times in Jesus' ministry that, in my opinion, he said some, as I want to put it, like major game-changing things. There's a few times where he said some things that were game changers in the sense of getting a clear picture of the new that was coming and what that would mean. And the first one that really stood out to me is in the same chapter in Luke where the Mount of Transfiguration that we talked about happened. Well, what happened later on in that chapter is that Jesus and his followers were going to Jeru- on their way towards Jerusalem and they were going to pass through the Samaritan village. And so Jesus sent some messengers ahead to that Samaritan village and said, hey, uh, the Messiah is coming with a group of people. Uh, we want to get some space so that they can come and they can be taken care of. And guess what? The Samaritan villager said, no, we don't want them here. We're not going to set room up for them. They refused to accept them traveling through their city. So the message then gets back to Jesus and his followers that, nope, they're not going to accept us and we can't go there. And then a fascinating thing happens. James and John, remember James and John? They were just at that mountain transfiguration not too long ago. They saw this vision of Jesus, Moses and Elijah, and Moses and Elijah disappearing and only Jesus standing there. They heard the voice, listen to him, listen to him. Well, they came up with an idea. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 54, they said this, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I mean, how many of you have wanted to do that at times, right? Got an idea, Jesus. They don't have an open room for us. Let's burn them. Now, here's the catch. Look at the verse. Just like Elijah did. Just like Elijah did. That's actually in 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 1, God's enemies were there and Elijah calls down fire from heaven and it consumes them and kills them. This is kind of common occurrence throughout the book of uh, the Old Testament. You see these kind of things unpackaging over and over again. So, So I can only assume that it might to them, John and James, who are kind of old covenant, that's what they know people to ask this kind of question seems kind of reasonable you know let's take care of them they reject let's blow them up but Jesus his response is pretty straightforward and I believe that he is going to be putting on display the new that is coming in and through him that would ultimately be a foundation of this radical unity And in Luke chapter 9, verse 55, Jesus turns and rebukes them. And he says, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy lives, but to save them. Listen to him, the voice said. Listen to him. I mean, yeah, they weren't welcomed. And and yeah, it was a Samaritan village. I mean... Y'all know the Samaritans, right? The Samaritans, those kind of half-breed dog people that we think are filthy. They're not accepting them. It's Samaritans. Why not appeal to what the prophet Elijah had done in the past? Why not? Let's just go there again and let's just call down fire from heaven to wipe out the enemies of God. Well, that is the old way. 
but the new was coming. You see, the new way being poured by Jesus brings life instead of death. The new way, the wine that Jesus was going to be pouring into the new wineskin would bring life instead of death. And I understand that this story is, is, we're so many years removed from this, right? I mean, we might think inside our head sometimes, like, come on, God, blow up my neighbor. He's really bugging me. His tree's hanging over my fence, you know. But, but you know, we're, we're, we're pretty far removed from this kind of thing. And then how many more years are we removed from the Elijah experience, right? From, from having these stories that are talked about. Oh, yeah, well, you remember what happened, kids. You know, you don't want to, you know, you want to eat your, you know, eat your, eat your vegetables because look, what God, you know, who knows, right? These stories that they had. I and mean, we're so far removed from that. And there, there are laws that demanded death in the Old Testament, that to be honest with you, it just leaves me scratching my head. I, I mean, it, it, it's just, there's laws that have broken, that were broken today. We wouldn't even consider death as an option. For some of them, we wouldn't even consider it to be a breaking of a law. I just had shrimp the other day. It's really good. I'm not thinking like, okay, just going to go for it. Hope nothing happens, you know. I, I mean, we are, we are removed from this idea but think about James and John right they have this old covenant this is the stories this is what they hold on to this is all they know in a lot of ways and they have this experience that they wrestle through with Jesus where Jesus Moses Elijah you get the law of the prophets Jesus law and the prophets go away it's only Jesus listen to him I mean their old testament perspective is hey they don't receive God let's kill them that's not much unity in that I wouldn't think you know but it's kind of the way things were and what we're going to see through the life and teaching of Jesus is an invitation to life not a fear of death it's an invitation to life Look at 2 Corinthians 3.16. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. We, they, are ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but the spirit. For the letter, it's like the law kills, but the spirit gives life. And that's the new covenant that we are ministers of. The covenant of the spirit that gives life. Out with the old, in with the new. Out with death from the law, in with li- to life by the spirit. Life by the spirit. I, we, we need to land on that reality because this is going to be the second thing I think that Jesus taught that was a game changer in the new covenant. To us, yes, maybe, we talk about all the time, oh, I got the Spirit, Spirit's in me, Spirit, I understand. To us, 2,000 years later, yeah, that's a common talk. But here, we're talking about some game-changing ideas and realities of the new that was coming. In Luke chapter 17, later on in the same book, Jesus, once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, they go, when's the kingdom coming, man? When's he going to rule? When's he going to wipe out Rome that's oppressing us? When's he going to take over? When is this coming? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. And now here comes the statement. Here comes to me a game-changing statement. Because the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. 
They're asking about the kingdom. And they're asking when the kingdom was gonna come and reign, but they didn't understand yet how God would reign and how that kingdom that's gonna come and rule for, then, for, for now and forevermore, how that reign was gonna happen. But Jesus drops this bomb that is so amazing and so new and so important for us to realize. Because I believe this, I believe that this is how we will now begin to see the new wineskin and the power behind radical unity. And here it is, that we are the new wineskin. We are the new wineskin that Jesus pours his life into by the Spirit. He pours his Spirit in us. The kingdom of God is within this is big. This is big. I mean, I mean, in this culture, James and John, and they're wrestling through this stuff. Where did God supposedly dwell? Anyone know? Where did God dwell? Does anyone know? Where? The temple. God dwelt in this temple. And they all knew that was where God dwelt. They knew that's where heaven and earth came together. That's how they saw it. The whole temple was a representation of heaven and earth. You had heaven where the holy of holies were, where the Ark of the Covenant and all the stuff were in there, and that's where God reigned. You had the court of the Gentiles and the outer courts. That was the earth. It even has talk in history. It talks that in between the two the curtains that are inside the temple was considered to be the sea. She so had the separation of the earth and heaven by the sea. That was the temple. That's how they saw the temple. That's where God dwelt on this earth. But something new was going to happen. Something new was coming in and through Christ. Hebrews 8, we looked at this last week. But by calling this covenant new, he had made the first one obsolete. And what was and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. And he goes on in chapter 9, very next verse. Now, the first covenant had its regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary, a tabernacle was set up. The old is the way of this temple worship. The old is this way of the tabernacle, of the temple where God dwelt. And you know what? To me, as I read it and see it, this temple was divided. It divided people. I mean, you had the outer courts where the Gentiles can come. They can go out there. They had a court of, for women. Isn't that awesome? I'm going to tell you, it wasn't a spa. You got to go, ladies, to somewhere because you couldn't go where men could go. So you had your own little place. Then you had the inner, more inner where the men can go. Then where the priests can go. And then the holy of holies where only the high priest can go. I mean, it was a divided temple. And Jesus even comes into that temple at one time, right? You know the story I'm going to say? And they're selling doves and they're over, and they're in the court of the Gentiles and they're overselling things for a higher price. And, you know, whatever's going on in there, to me, I think what they were doing was selling things to people that didn't need them. That all nations can come to that outer court and worship God. And they're like, hey, you can't come here without this bird, you know? Usually it's 50 cents, but for today, five bucks. 
And Jesus overturns the tables and he says, this is to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you are making it a den of robbers. You are separating and dividing even more. Over the history, the division got greater. But Jesus predicts in Matthew 24, when asked when the kingdom would come, when asked what would be the sign of the end of the age, he says the sign of the end of the age would be that every stone on this temple would be torn to the ground and it will no longer be standing. The old covenant temple, all the rules, the laws, the sacrifices, the offerings that were required in order to come into the presence of God would end. And in AD 70, that temple was torn down. And the end did come to that old covenant worship. And in Hebrews 10, verse 9, it says, And he set aside the first to establish the second. The first, the old was set aside, became obsolete so that he might establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It's not about the old. It's not about laws and rules and sacrifices and all. That is past that is obsolete now in Christ. God no longer dwells in a temple made by human hands. There has been a birth of a new covenant where the new temple would be established, where God would dwell with his people and he would be their God. And look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. For we are the temple of the living God. For we are the temple. We are the new wineskin that that new wine of grace and mercy is poured into by God. We are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer dwelling in a temple made by hands, but God dwelling in us. And I just want to tell you, as we talk about this radical unity, as followers of Jesus, we are not unified because of our nationality or because of our gender or race or even our heritage or our religion. That is not what unifies us. We are unified in God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's what unifies us. And we are unified not just with us in this room, but around the world from times past to all in the future through the spirit of God that now dwells in his temple. We are a temple being built, all of us together into a holy temple where God dwells. Galatians chapter three, verse 28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And in this new temple, and in this new temple where God dwells with his people, Jesus made something very clear. In this new temple where God dwells with us, 
There is no longer the 613 some odd laws that we need to follow and abide in that was required in the Old Testament covenant. How many could say, because I really like shrimp. Just had it the other day. We no longer in this new temple where God reigns by his spirit in us, have to follow those. No, in this new temple, under this new covenant, where the new wine is being poured into these new wineskins, all the laws of the old are summed up in basically one. Jesus in John 13, 34 said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I has loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In this new temple, under this new covenant, it's about receiving the love of God through Christ and being empowered by that love to love one another. In other passages, Jesus said that all the law and the prophets are fulfilled in this, to love others as I have loved you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, treat others the way you want to be treated. All the law and the prophets are fulfilled in that. You are doing well, doing good, following and walking in God if you love one another. And where the old covenant brought death and disunity, the new covenant is to bring life and radical unity because it is love. Love is the new wine being poured into the new wineskin, us, resulting in radical unity as we are all one in and through Christ. It is love. That's the new wine poured into the new wineskin. That is what empowers us and moves us and changes us. And it's like, you know, people, we could have a hard time. Like, what do you mean we don't have to follow all those things? What do you mean? Hey, I want to tell you something. The new law in the new covenant, in the new temple, it's simpler. It's not easier, Right? It's simpler, it's not easier. I mean, it's a lot easier just to be saying, hey, don't wear those clothes that are mixed with that kind of fire. Okay, cool, got it. Don't eat that food. Okay, got it. I mean, to sit there and say, we're just gonna, we're, we're, all the old is gone and the new is coming, this is the new. Love one another as I have loved you. I mean, come on, just give me a list of things that don't, don't make me love people. Are you kidding me? I mean, what would happen in our lives if the only way we, if we sat there and thought, someone, I was talking to someone about this the other day, if we just thought like, why should we not lie? And we, do, we just throw away though, because the Bible tells me so. No, we don't lie because we're called to love people, right? We, we sit there, what would happen in our lives if we actually just every decision, people we dealt with, how we walked with them, how we responded, to, how I treated my wife and my kids and my neighbor and my enemy, what if, what if I really got to the point where I said, okay, new covenant, spirit in this new temple. Question is, how in this situation at this moment in this day, what, what would it look like if I loved this situation, this person in the way that Jesus has loved me? It's simple. Not easy. The old is gone and the new has come. 
And just as Paul said in Galatians 5 or 6, for in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. In Christ in the new covenant, the old covenant of circumcision or not and rules and regulations and blah, 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 it has no value. It's obsolete. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So that's what we're going to be wrestling with over the next weeks. How Jesus showed this in his life, how he taught it, how in the book of Acts they were tested to have this unifying love for each other. We're going to take a look at the writings of Paul in his letters of how he encouraged them to love one another. And we're going to take a look at Revelation and see kind of this love fulfilled, this unity fulfilled. As we could do this journey through the whole New Testament where love is the foundation and unity is the goal. And you might go like, yeah, 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 I hear that all the time here. Really? Well, yeah. Let's listen to what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. I in them, he's praying to his father, that they might know that I'm in them as you are in me. You are in me, Father, and I am in them. May they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus' prayer is that we would live in unity so that people might know that we are loved by God and so are they. That is the message of the new covenant. And I hope you will come back and be part of that journey with us. It's going to be an awesome, awesome next month or two. All right? So... I do have one thing I want to say before I pray and let you guys go. Uh, my wife and I, it's pretty exciting times right now for us. And we, I just want to let you guys know that we have taken on, that we are going to take on the role, or I'm going to take on the role as the lead teaching pastor at our Marietta campus. And so I teach over there like once or twice a month. I, I do, I've been doing that for years over there. There's about 120 to 50 people coming there. And we just feel like it's time for me. I just want to teach more. And, you know, I really had a lot of fun when Scott was gone, but unfortunately he came back. And, and so as Scott and I were talking about this, Scott was kind of like, dude, Let's we want to take on Murrieta. I'm still going to be in the same rotation I'm in here. I got Scott over there today, and, and, and we'll keep going back and forth. So I'm going to be over there, but I'm still going to be here, and I'll still be around here and doing all the stuff I do around here. But on Sunday mornings, I'm mainly going to be getting to teach over there and begin bringing this message of, you know, Rancho's kind of focus on grace and being thousands of friends and advancing the cause there, and I'm super stoked about that. And Scott said, if I can invite you. If you live in Murrieta, Wildemar, anywhere like that, and you like me, if you don't like me, that's okay. I won't take it personal at all. And you want to come join my wife and I over there and a group of us that are also, there's some others going over there, you are welcome to come. He said, take them, come on over. So if you have any heart for that, you could, you could reach out to me if you want to, and I'd love to meet and we can talk if you have any questions, or I'm going to be there starting next week. And so Scott taught last week's message there this week. I'm teaching this week's message there next week, and then we're going to keep on, and we're going to be teaching the same series, the same sermons and connecting Murrieta and Temeca even more. So I want to let you guys know that. And uh, um, that's it. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm assuming that you're clapping that I'm leaving. Good. I'm okay with that. So woo, get that guy out of here. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the message of Christ, this new covenant, this covenant that is being poured out new wine in this new wineskin. And yeah, we kind of see that so clearly because we're so far removed, but may we see the beauty and the power and the reality. 
It's your spirit dwelling in us that we've talked about for years and if we've been Christian for years, it's so common, was not common. It was new, it was a mystery, God in us, the hope of glory. And we live in that. May we realize that we are your temple. We are the new wineskin that Jesus was talking about. Your spirit's pouring that new wine of love and mercy and grace into our lives and through our lives. That it's not about following a list of rules and regulations, but it's about being empowered by the spirit of God that dwells in us and moved to love others as you have loved us and be thousands of friends advancing the cause. What a beautiful, beautiful picture that the old is gone, the new has come. May we walk in that today for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.